0: Welcome to Among At Movies, the show where we don't talk to Mac about movies and celebrate them, except when we don't. Just like how we celebrate Halloween, except when we don't. That's right. We intended to have a Halloween team podcast for you before the end of the month, but sadly, those plans have fallen short because our Yu Yu Haka Show episode is not complete. The Monster Girls manga fight that has been recorded and waiting to be edited and released for over a year and a half has not finished yet so instead you have this new episode of Mangamerics at movies with two films that are sorta Halloween related you can argue Loving Vincent is kind of a horror thriller and Coco is about the undead and has ghosts and spirits and stuff and uh, some creepy imagery you can argue these are Halloween themed enough for an episode to go up on Halloween Day And yes, today, this episode of At Movies covers Coco, last year's very critically acclaimed Disney film, as well as Loving Vincent, a very revolutionary and extraordinary artistic achievement that is a biopic of Vincent van Gogh's life. Both of these films were Contenders for the Oscar Best Animated Feature Prize last year. You probably already know which one won, but at the time we recorded these reviews, we did not know who would ultimately come out on top, though we did have a strong suspicion of which film it would be, and V-Lord GDC had very strong opinions about that, as you will soon find out. But let's not waste any time and celebrate Halloween with this sort of spooky episode by listening to our reviews of Love and Winston and Coco. Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and daffodils Catch the breeze and winter chills in colors on the snow wheeling. Everybody and welcome to Modern Mavericks at Movies, a show where we talk smack about movies. Except, we don't usually talk smack about movies, do we? No, we usually see movies that are pretty good to really good. But today, we saw a masterpiece, didn't we? Yeah, we saw a truly groundbreaking film a biopic of Vincent van Gogh. That is, the world's first fully oil-painted animated feature. It was certainly a sight to behold. It was a beautiful piece of artistry. They did not choose traditional animators to make this film, no. They chose classically trained oil painters. Over 130 artists contributed to the animation in this movie. Drawing 65,000 frames <laughs> on 1,000 canvases. They did rotoscope it. They shot live-action film with actors and then literally painted over it frame by frame. Yeah. It took them two years. It took them four years to perfect the process, but two years to actually make it. And overall, the production took eight years to make. Yeah, that's just insane to think about. But like, when you look at the sheer quality of this film and just visually how it looks, it's just completely stunning. Like, there are certain scenes in this film that you could easily mistake for just straight up live action. I mean, sure they're rotoscoping it, but it's still clearly painted. It still, it still looks. Painted, but at the same time it looks so real. Yeah. It's yes. just it's just fantastic. Again, that comes from the skill of these classically trained painters. Yeah. They have experience drawing from life and drawing to capture the essence of a real life person. More so than most classically trained animators. Yeah. Like their draftsm- their draftsmanship skills are like on another level. It is astounding. Yeah. And it really communicates through in the bo- acting as well of the characters. Like, it is rotoscoped, so you have realistic movement, but also the, their sense of anatomy, the sense of form. It's astonishing in each subsequent frame how these people who were not trained as animators are able to keep the consistency and the form so tight. It's just beautiful artistry. Yeah, it's just like so amazing to see. Like, there was some real talent involved with this. The director of this film, Dorota Cobiella, trained as a painter before she moved on to film. And she was heavily inspired by the letters of Vincent Van Gogh. And through reading those letters, she was inspired to make this film. ...which essentially takes place a few months after the death of Van Gogh... ...and follows Armand Roulon, ...who is the son of Van Gogh's friend, the postman roulon ...as he tries to discover the truth behind Van Gogh's death... ...in the process of trying to deliver his last letter to his brother Tio. And the film, of course, can never make any conclusions... ...but the way it tells its story... Is just so captivating. The artistry involved. And how it will transition between. Scenes in the present. To the past. Using a black and white style. For past scenes. While we focus on colorful. Imagery in the present. Not to mention. The fact that. The entire film is. Full of homages. And recreations of Ango's paintings. We start off. With Starry Night, of course, the famous one. But we also got his bedroom in Arles, which is an important location. We got the Cafe Terrace at Night, the wheat field with cypresses, the yellow house. Pretty much every famous Van Gogh painting is used as a location, a background in this film. And several of his portraits are, of course, homaged and used as inspiration for the characters. We have, of course, real-life figures like Dr. Cat... Dr. Gachet, the doctor who took care of Vincent in Oz. But we also have fictional characters like Louise Chevalier, who is the innkeeper. Mm. We have the boatman. All of these characters inspired by portraits Van Gogh made. <laughs> but we're not necessarily real people, but are so effective in telling the story and the performances incredible in bringing these people to life. Like, these aren't... It really makes a difference that you feel like you're watching real people, actors communicate with each other rather than performances of caricatures. Yeah, definitely. Like, you can really feel, like, the impact in their voices. Like, I guess, like we said before, it's rotoscope, and they did use professional actors for this as the models, and I think they also voice the voice the actual characters, right? the actors that they use as models? Yes, yeah, so like just from doing that, you can really feel just the overall impact when they're conve- conveying like the dialogue and stuff, and it just is so effective. Mm-hmm. and like going back to what you said about the backgrounds, like one like really really uh great scene that stuck out to me about that was back when uh the postman's son was talking to Gachet's daughter. And while before it does the flashback, you could see in the background, the colors are slowly becoming darker and darker. And it just eventually shrouds completely in black. Yeah. Just like, just an amazing transition. That like, they, they had established before that the flashbacks are the black scenes, the colorful scenes are the present. Just doing that sort of transition though was just so amazing. Yeah, I gotta tell you, those black and white scenes, they approach realism to the level that you could mistake them for live action yeah like if you if you don't like you if you pay attention you can tell that's painted but if you're just like looking at a still frame for this you could easily mistake it for live action i have to say that this film shows what traditional animation can accomplish that even cg has not approached yet To be able to capture reality and transmit it in animated form, this is truly a masterpiece of animation. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this should be nominated for an Oscar. It really should. It's unfortunate that it is not only a foreign film, but a film that few people have seen that it probably will not get a nod over the latest Disney Pixar flick. It's, it's such a shame because it's 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 just so unique. It's the type of film that you just don't see made like ever, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the artistry is what truly captivated me throughout the entire movie. Just the way that every frame was different and then how they were recreating Van Gogh's iconic paintings and how they were transitioning from scenes to from one to another Like, they make use of the animated medium so well to have transitions, have paintings bleed into each other. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And the story is captivating, too. The story of Van Gogh's life and his death is deeply fascinating, deeply tragic. And it's very interesting to see it in the way it's explored. Seeing all these different rumors, all these different takes on what could have happened. And obviously, as I said before, the movie doesn't come to any definitive conclusions because it can't. But it portrays such a humanizing, such a raw depiction of Van Gogh that you really connect with. And you really connect with the entire scene, the entire circumstances that led up to his death. And there's really no villain in the film. There's, like... Yeah. Like, they can, they kind of pull the red herring thing. Where, like, you kind of, like, think that Gachet is going to be this terrible person. No, he's not. End, by the end of the film, you're like, fuck, this guy, like, really cared about he him. He really cared. Yeah, it's, The performance yeah. just sells it, too. Like, we never know why Thango might have killed himself. We can never know if he really killed himself or if he was covering for... Someone like Renee, s- or was it, I think it was Renee, her, yeah, Renee? Renee was the suspect. Based on the flashbacks, she sounded like a total dick. Yeah, but again, <laughs> we are relying on the film's depiction of this character. Though the real life Renee did admit he believed Vincent. Yeah. So fuck so, Renee. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just such captivating performances, such beautiful artistry. And just the story of Van Gogh is so deeply fascinating that I think if you are a a huge fan of the work of Van Gogh or are deeply interested in his legacy and the story behind his death, then this is a really interesting film to watch. And if you are an animation connoisseur, you owe yourself to watch this film because this is some of the most innovative animation Some of the most groundbreaking accomplishments in the medium that I have seen in some time. And it shows what you can do with the traditional animation process and the marriage of it and traditional oil painting in a way that I have never seen before. But I think, like, really makes you think of, oh my gosh, what could we do with this kind of medium going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, like, this kind of animation is just, like... Such an amazing idea and so ambitious. Like, we've seen a few, a little bit with Japanese animators. Like, I know there is one animator in Japan who's been doing a lot of paint on glass animation. The guy, I forget his exact name, but he's the guy who did the Mob Cycle 100 ending theme. But yeah, like, just seeing on this scale, though, what this type of animation can do is just so cool. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I hope we get more films like this. Because it's just such an interesting idea, and it just brings in such a unique take to animation. Yeah, I think that you could only make a film like this through the medium of Van Gogh's paintings themselves. So this was truly an inspired artistic endeavor, and it it succeeded wholesale. Yeah, totally. I, I would have more to say about this film, but... To get into this, it's really a simple film when you yeah. get down to it, but just to really emphasize just how incredible the artistry behind it is. It's, it's kind of hard. How to... compelling the storyline of Van yeah. Gogh's life is. Like it, it is a film that I don't think can be given justice in description alone. I think it is an experience that really must be seen to be appreciated. It it very much, yeah, it is something you really have to watch for yourself to really see the beauty of. Because it is such a unique film. It probably isn't like anything you've seen before. Yes. It's, yeah, Um, fantastic. Like, honestly, I really hope this gets some sort of home video release in the US. I'm sure... I am sure it will. Yeah, because I, I honestly want to. Th- I'm considering picking that up. Cause, oh, yeah, definitely. This is especially yeah. if they have behind the scenes material showing the process of making the film. Yeah, that oh, would yes, be. I want to see that. That would be insane. I mean, yeah. This this is just like a fantastic film. Uh, I'm really glad that our local uh, Minneapolis theater was showing this for like an entire month because... Uh, I am so lucky that I had managed to find out that this film was being made because I had not heard about it at all until I randomly looked up just Fathom Events special screenings on Venango and I saw that this was something that was playing and I saw the trailer and I was like, whoa, what is this? How have I not heard it being discussed in animation circles? I, I think this just comes out of the problem that like the I guess like in terms of US animation we're so insular into what we see. Like at most we see like anime and then American stuff. Yeah. And then everything else is shafted. Like you don't people you don't see people talking about like Mune, like Mune of like the Guardian of the Guardian. Of Moon. Moon. <laughs> I forgot the title. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was co cool, but like Mune or Last Man, like mature animation from the French industry. Like you don't see anything outside like, U.S. and Japan, and, like, at least in the circles that we live yeah. in in America, which is such a shame. I, I know we have companies like G Kids that are really pushing other foreign animation industries and localizing their stuff, but I, I really wish it would have come more commonplace, because there's so many unique films out there that just don't get exposure. Yeah. Like, I know we have Breadwinner coming in a few months into, like, U.S. theaterism, I hope that gets, like, a lot of acclaim, because that that film looks unique, but we need more stuff like that, and we need more stuff like Loving Vincent, too, because this stuff is just amazing. It's just stuff that you don't see anywhere in American animation or Japanese animation or any of the mainstream animation that we view. Yes, I'm really glad that I had a chance to see this, and I definitely am going to make sure to keep closer tabs on foreign animated films that are getting released over here, because... We almost missed this. We almost missed Mune. Yeah. We missed Girl Without Hands, I think. We, yeah. yeah. So, if, if you don't keep your tabs on when these stuff is coming out over here, then you are gonna miss your chance to yeah. see them. Until a hopeful home uh, video release. Yeah, I mean, G Kids does good with that, but mm. I think with a lot of like more niche films, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, I mean,. Uh, however, you can find this film. Check it out. Buy it on DVD. Buy it on Blu-ray. Buy it digitally if it has a digital release. I don't think it has one yet, but hopefully, I, I want this film to get a lot of exposure. This film is an inspire. This film is an inspiring achievement of artistry that really in- inspires me as an artist, both for its technical achievements and its narrative of Van Gogh's life. It's just so much you can get out of it if you're a huge fan of classic art and animation and both. And film. Yeah. like Traditional art, animation, film. You fan- If you are a fan of any of these things, you need to see this movie because this movie is a beautiful marriage of all of them. Yeah. like th- This is probably one of the most beautiful films you'll Probably have seen. Yes, <laughs> it's just that good. This this probably sounds like really overhyping, but it's that good. It, it really, it is. really is. I can only hope the next film we'll watch will be as good as this. I and mean, what will be the next film? I have no clue. Oh wait, Justice League. Crap. Um. Well, who knows if I'm going to pair that with this. That's a good point, considering how late these come out. Yeah. <laughs> Guess we'll see. Remember me Though I have to say goodbye Remember me Don't let it make you cry Or even if I'm far away I hold you in my heart I sing a secret song to you night we are apart, remember me, though I have to travel far, remember me, each time you hear a sad guitar. Hello, everybody, and welcome to MugRabrics at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies It's up we never actually do, because the movies we see often tend to be good to great and... Today, we saw another great one. Over the Thanksgiving weekend, we saw a film all about the spirit of family and togetherness that the holiday of Thanksgiving is about, even though it's about a completely different holiday. That's right. We saw Disney Pixar's Coco. That's right. A film about Dia de los Muertos, the holiday where you celebrate your ancestors and guide them home from the Land of the Dead. Beautiful film, artistically. Gorgeous backgrounds. The Land of the Dead, absolutely stunning. So many layers of art. They had this short segment before the movie started where they talked a little bit about the art of the film, and wow! It's mind-boggling how many lights, how many colors, how many acids are in that one shot alone! And then think about it, throughout the entire movie, just beautifully made, through and through. And also the message of family was just so thoroughly heartwarming... Oh, it was just such a perfect fit for the Thanksgiving weekend. And we actually saw it with family, didn't we, We Lord GDC? We yeah. saw it together, obviously, you and me are family, but we also saw it with cousins, little cousins, and they really enjoyed the movie. It was perfect movie for the entire family, even though our entire family didn't go and see it. But yeah. at least the young young'uns <laughs> among us did. Yeah. How did you enjoy this movie, We Lord um, I mean, like you said, the backgrounds, the visuals were fantastic. You really see all the intricate detail that was put into it. Um, yeah, the theme of family, great. It was very emotionally compelling. I, I could feel, feel myself watering, my-, my eyes watering a little bit at times. Uh, one of the little girls who was, like, sitting in the RO started <laughs> crying near the end of the movie. Yes! She, she like, did! Yeah. Oh, it was the scene where... They were singing to the little girl, like, little Coco in the flashback when Hector was singing to her. Isn't that the scene? I think it was later when, like, they were playing oh. the song again. when, uh, What's-His-Face, the main character. Read his like Miguel? Miguel, yeah. When Miguel is playing it to Grandma Coco. Oh, yes. That must be the moment. Yeah. Yes, it was very emotional. Beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah, I mean, aside from that, I guess, narratively, it's a bit, uh... Narratively, it's straightforward. Yeah. It's this kid has a dream that his family doesn't approve of they hate music, they don't understand the music man, but he has an artist soul, and he learns that a long time ago one of his ancestors, his great great grandfather, had an artist soul, and he's like, yeah I want to pursue the dream of my great great grandfather, who conveniently happens to be the most popular Mexican musician, Ernesto de la Cruz, and I am going to go and get his blessing in the last of the dead, so I don't have to give up on my music, because it's my dream, it's my passion, man! Of course, it turns out that Ernesto is not his ancestor's spoiler that's so unpredictable, but it's okay, because his ancestor, his actual great-great-grandfather who he unknowingly befriends in his journey does have a musician's soul and but through reconnecting his estranged great-great-grandfather and his great-great-grandmother together. They are able to come back together as a family and they give him his blessing to pursue his dream of the music man.
1: And also music
0: helps rekindle the memories of Nana Coco of her late father and help cure her Alzheimer's a little bit. Yeah. A couple months before she dies. (laughs) (laughs) That's kinda dark when you think about it. It's pretty interesting that in the land of the dead, you look the age when you died. So, Coco's grand- Coco's parents, Hector and Imelda, they must have died fairly young because they look like, you know, just regular adults and yeah. when we see Coco when she's dead in the land of the dead, she is as old as she was. I guess when different a lot. I guess like guess like optimal, like age before death was a lot younger back in the day, so I guess that makes sense. It's pretty dark though when you see kids in the film. Yeah. Like <laughs> when you see flight. like when he's first crossing <laughs> over the bridge into the land of the dead, they pass by a mother and daughter. <laughs> Who are walking across, and it's like, oh, wow. When you think about that, that means that little girl died pretty young, didn't she? Truck coon killed her. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. It was out for blood. We couldn't stop him, man. We couldn't stop him, man. This movie really taps into this existential crisis of when do you truly die? When your body gives off, and you pass on to the afterlife, or when people don't remember you. And in this movie, people actually can die in the land of the dead when people in the living world forget them. We see this with Hector's friend, Shisharone, who fades away into non-existence when the last person who alive remembered him dies. And that's the big looming threat with Hector, is that if he doesn't see... Nanakoko, one last time, his daughter, who is the last person who remembers when he was alive, then he's going to disappear too. Mm. And the film is all about keeping the memories of your family Alive, strew telling their stories and passing them down. That's why they put up their pictures, their ofrendas, and they celebrate their ancestors and their heritage and guide them home to pay respect for what they have done. It's a very beautiful message, and it speaks to even after you're dead, a hundred years later, you can still be kept alive through the memories of you. Passed down by your loved ones. You can say that anybody who we celebrate today as a great person from history has been kept alive through our memories and reverence of them. Mm. Of the stories that have been told of them. Very beautiful message. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's see. What else is there to say about this film? They're pretty good songs in this film. Remember Me is a great heart pulling tear jerkin song especially in the scene where they sing it to n- little Nanako and of course at the end where they sing it to old granny Nanako yeah i say. Yeah, i guess on the topic of the songs like one big problem i have with the disney and pixar films is that it always seems like they're trying to force a musical number in there but in this movie it felt organic because yeah. it's about it's music. about the music so here it works perfectly i'm like movies like Frozen, where you just have let it go for no reason in the film. Speaking of Frozen, we did neglect to mention the 20-minute Olaf short that preceded it. Oh, God, it. yeah, that was way That was, that too was very corny and kind of hit you on the nose. Like, when, like when a minute just Anna and Elsa didn't have a Christmas tradition or at least so they thought until the end of the short when they realized they had one all along, but we had to spend 10 minutes of Olaf Singing a song about finding Christmas traditions, even though Josh Gad does not have the best singing voice. Ooh, boy! <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> that song. I would have been fine, fine with, with to that. Say true, short if it was just focusing on Anna and Elsa, and not freaking Olaf. And I'm sure Olaf is all the big money maker with the kitties, with all his merch. But really, it's Elsa, though. Is it? Elsa's the most like. Popular character. Okay, then screw Olaf. Why do we have an Olaf short? No one gives a shit about Olaf. I don't know, I guess cause he's the mascot. I mean, kids did find that funny. They did geek out his antics. Uh, they, they should just kill Olaf in Frozen 2. <laughs> well, apparently it's not so easy to kill Olaf because even when he literally melts in the sauna, they're just able to throw him back out and he becomes ice oh, and then the right. ice breaks and he becomes a No! Smoker. They so made he's him immortal. immortal! They made him immortal! He has Keshen Shu! Bloodworms in his snow—that oh is God. going to keep him alive. Repair all his wounds. Ugh. I mean, wasn't like Olaf's room to like melt or something, or like, or was it to see summer? I, I forget. It was to see summer. Yes. Okay, so he's never gonna die now. It's just annoying. Yeah, just <laughs> Yeah, my biggest problem with that short is just. The dialogue was so expository and blunt, and it's like, wow, you are just so direct with all of these themes. This dialogue feels so amfisted and unnatural coming from <laughs> these characters, and oh god, this song with Olaf is taking five minutes. I d- <laughs> I'm tired of it. I don't know if it was just There's some good or. visual gag, but like, overall, it was just like, oh, a great example is that scene where Swen the Reindeer, or caribou, or whatever he is, is like trying to explain what is happening to Kristoff, what's happening with Olaf, and he, you know, it's kind of amusing like his little sketch but like literally Anna and Elsa come in and like bluntly say oh, that's happening to Olaf? Oh my god! And it's like, oh, that's so pre- predictable, that's such a basic way of going about Executing this joke, I'm like, oh gosh, this. There are maybe wasted opportunities for like clever verbal gags. I mean, they do fine with the visual gags, but oof, the dialogue. Boy, I, I can't work. wait for Frozen Two, guys. It's gonna be amazing. This felt like it should have been a TV special, not a theatrical yeah. short. I was not terribly happy. And Sid, guess what's going to win the Oscar for Best Animated Short this year? Really? Something as... I don't know. It's Disney, Sid. They win because the Oscars are racist and they only care about Disney when it comes to animated stuff. But there's nothing even artistically innovative about the last short. Was there anything really artistic about Frozen? Did Frozen win Best Picture? Yeah, it did. Oh, yeah, obviously it did. Actually, yeah, I mean, in terms of how it depicted the snowscapes and, like, the musical accomplishment of yes, it. Yes, but comparatively to the other films of that year. Well, I don't remember off the top of my head what the competition was. Well, Wind Rises and what, Oh, of course! Yeah, ooh. But we all know that the Academy doesn't actually care about the merits of the animated films. They just pick the Disney film and then they... I mean... We're the not. problem back then also was the Wind Rises was distributed by Disney, so you have Disney competing with Disney, but Disney well, doesn't so own the, Wind the, Rises outright. The out Academy right. shouldn't be- No, I'm just saying that the Academy is biased towards the interests of the big conglomerates, the big and entertainment moguls, and like what they want. And that's a flawed system. Like back in 2001, <laughs> when Disney was distributing uh. Spirited Away, Disney didn't have any utter competition of its own for Spirited Away. So that's why they were able to push Spirited Away wholeheartedly. It's still dumb, and you know what the academy should do? They should just make a separate section for foreign animated films. If they're gonna be racist and bigoted about it, they might as well make a section so they don't have to be subtle about it. They can just be, okay, yeah. Here's the section that we made for them because we're too racist and bigoted to glump it in with everything else. Yeah, you beat that dead horse plenty. Or just be the, be like the Annecy Film Festival and actually have like separate like choices for like the critical choice, the fan choice, and like the outstanding like unique choice or whatever. I mean, I agree with you, but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about Coco and what a good movie that is, aren't yeah. we? But it still won't deserve an Oscar, in my opinion. Coco? I, okay, this is the thing. I, I like Coco. It's a great film. Oscar worthy, not so much. Why? Why isn't it Oscar worthy? It, it, visually, stunning. Themes and nails. Narrative, weak. Weak narrative, huh? It has a weak narrative. In what way? It's predictable. It's something we've seen before. In what way is it predictable? I don't disagree okay. with you. I want you to actually explain what you're talking about. Okay, fine. Well, from from the outset of the film, it's just like the whole, okay, I need to find my find my like ancestor who will represent my real passion. But, oh wait, that answer's not my real ancestor. It's this other guy. We totally didn't see this coming because you're trying to establish... Make this relationship from the outset, therefore, you're intentionally subverting the idea. So, it's, it's obvious. It is a basic template of a hero's journey. Exactly. The hero sets out with one goal in mind, and he attains it, but realizes what he really wanted all along with something else. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, this is also the problem I have with Inside Out, to an extent. Like, Inside Out... It does a great job with the balance between happiness and sadness, but then it shuns all the other emotions. It doesn't focus on those other emotions. It doesn't go in-depth with them. It just focuses on happy and sadness, happiness and sadness. And even then, it's not nuanced enough to actually go deep enough to really hit it strong. Like, there are people who said Inside Out should have deserved like being in the best film category for the Oscars, and I disagree, because regardless of how good the film was, it wasn't as deep as its competition, and that's the same thing with Coco. You know, what its competition is going to be, from what we can guess, stuff like *Silent Silence, stuff like Breadwinner, stuff, not Loving Vincent because the Academy hates rotoscoping, but stuff of that nature, <laughs> it's not going to be able to compete on that level, in my opinion, and it's *Coco* still going to win the Oscar, because that's how the Academy works. They don't actually care about Quality. There's two. Of the Disney film, but I'd say does it deserve it? Not so much. While the narrative is simple, while the narrative is simple, I don't think that invalidates the artistry and filmmaking. It, it on the, doesn't, I, and I'm not saying it does. I'm saying that even with all that stuff, do you honestly think it would be better than a silent voice winning or any of a film of that nature? Obviously, you know me. You know how much I love a silent voice. That is one of my favorite manga, and the anime adaptation of it was beautiful. I've talked about as much on a previous podcast. But in terms of the filmmaking and artistry, Coco might have a beat. Hmm. I do think Naoko Yamada was a visionary director. She is a visionary director, and she did amazing things with a Silent Voice, as an adaptation. But I feel what we saw in terms of technical accomplishment, in terms of the world created in Coco, of how the Land of the Dead looks, of how accomplished the animation is. But at the end of the day, is the Academy going to be choosing based on that stuff? No, they aren't. They're just going to be choosing because it's the Disney film. That's true. But here's the thing, V-Lord. Why do we care about what the Academy thinks? I don't even know why we're having this conversation. Sure, we know that Coco will probably win Best Animated Feature. But why is it undeserving of that? I know that it is unfair why it is locked in at that place. It's undeserving of that because other films that are doing other unique takes with stronger narratives are being ignored because we have a Disney film. That is unfair, but that doesn't mean Coco is undeserving because there is so much merit to the film. There is there so is, much research. There is so much production. There is merit production. to the film. I'm not, I'm not saying that none of that stuff matters. That stuff is amazing. The visuals and the emotional themes of Coco are fantastic, but at the same time, you have other films that do all three categories, themes, visuals, and narrative amazing, and they are ignored for a movie that only does two out of the three right. Okay, that is fair. But again, why is Coco undeserving just because other films are more deserving? In that, your that's opinion! Point. That's the point! No! That's the point. It's undeserving because there are other films that are more deserving. What it's going to be competing against is going to be better than it. Unless it's like some generic ass film like the but Emoji Movie. I'm, I'm saying more deserving in your opinion. I mean, yeah, it is more deserving in my... Uh, but Co- okay. to utter standards, maybe Coco is the most deserving. And there is so much... Except incredible talent on display here in terms of the filmmaking, in terms of the animation, the artistry. The story itself was incredibly well-researched in terms of the ideas it draws upon in terms of Mexican culture and heritage. Yes, but then underlying that, it's a standard hero's journey narrative like you said. Like It's, it's great that... One it's of the, t- the templates of a hero's journey narrative. Yeah, one of them. The point is predictable story, but uh, like I said, it's fantastic visually. There's some real stunning animation in this. But at the same time, can all that make up for such a weak narrative? I don't think the narrative is weak. I don't think being predictable means that the story isn't good. I think the story uh, was quite good. I got a lot out of it. I enjoyed the journey. I enjoyed seeing Hector and Miguel become close and then... Realize that they are family. I thought that was a great moment when they're like screaming in like the pit and okay. like, woo! I'm proud to be! His family! That's such a great moment. The emotional moments. The, the All the times moments. where they sing, Remember Me, beautiful. Yeah, yes, but so those are the emotional moments. When you think about it in the big picture, the narrative is not that strong. It's not that good. It has great, solid snippets of moments like, but that you can have like a film with a total mess, but still have great like piece by piece moments. And the Coco has that. Like Coco is like an example of that. It's narrow How is the film a mess? This the film, film is very well structured. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was an example. It's not a mess. It is a good This is film. very clean storytelling okay, and plot. It is clean storytelling, but it's weak storytelling with snippets of very emotional moments. And that's it. That's Again, is how is the storytelling <laughs> weak? Just because it's predictable. That's the story the, structure is rock solid. That's why it's weak. No. Because it's predictability doesn't make for a weak script. In fact, oftentimes, predictability means that you have a good script. It means that you have a script that makes sense. That means the narrative flows very well from beginning to end. An example of a weak Script, or at least a messy script, actually might be frozen because you have moments in Frozen, like the reel that Hans is the villain, where you're like, what? This wasn't set up. This isn't actually clever. It just is something that happened. But there's no actual reason for it to happen. But there's reason for everything to happen okay. in Coco! Okay. you're yeah, fine. I'll reword it. It's a predictable story. And that's the problem though, is that when you look at other films, especially in the format like Big Fish and Begonia by Studio Mayor or like In Discord of the World or Silent Voice? Or even Breadwimmer from what I know of the plot (laughs) Like, all those films Do all three categories Of theme, visuals, and narrative Far better than Coco Again, the only Baggage you seem to have Against Coco Is that the story is predictable And it's not that the story is bad The story isn't bad though But it's not as good As contemporary animation That is ignored And that's not to say Coco's not a good film. Coco is a good film. I liked it. It's probably the most I've enjoyed a Disney film in years. Like, Inside Out was good. But I have lots of problems with it. Frozen is crap. I don't care what anyone says. Frozen is crap. You liked it when you first saw it. I I thought it was okay. I, I, I just saw a bunch of tangled comparisons to it. I liked it a lot when I first saw it in the theater. I was like, wow, that was incredible. And then I have been thinking about it. ever since then, I'm like, Actually, the more I think about it, it's it's not. Yeah, so good. it's yeah. But I did like it first time I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I mean, bottom line though, like, yeah, Coco, great film, and I really like it. I enjoyed it a lot. It's one of Disney's best works in years. But at the same time, it's going to get praise for doing things that have already been doing better in the foreign market. And the foreign market. What are you even <laughs> talking about right now? praise? for It has praise that is well-deserved. It has, Your only complaint is that it might. And you don't even know this for sure. <laughs> Your only complaint is that it might win the Academy Award when you'd rather see a different film win the Academy Awards. Give up on Best Picture for Animation. It is a pointless to win that. Okay? We all know that the Academy does not care so that category is mistreated. Who cares? What does that have to do with how good a film Coco is? It doesn't. Then I'm why sick. have we been having this argument for I 10 minutes? Know. Should we just cut this out? No, I'm keeping it in. Uh why did we even start this? I don't even remember. Cause you Shit. started on oh, I can't believe. No, okay, it's like to win Academy. No, it said like okay, I don't think this should deserve like an yeah. Oscar. That you asked why, and then we got to this. Yeah, I asked why. Yeah, because I don't understand why you're so mm. against this movie winning Academy Award, and this is one of the most deserving movies it is, from it is, Disney it to is win the the Academy Award. See, see, you said it right there, the most deserving Disney movie. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> you, know what, you know what they should just call the, the section I was saying? The best Disney animated film of the year, because that's all it is. That's all it's ever been! Yeah, fuck the Academy Awards. Let's look at the history of best animated picture. <laughs> uh, fuck the Academy Awards. I mean, Tintin won that one year. That was also Steven Spielberg, though. Yeah, and after that they banned rotoscoping. Cause apparently rotoscoping is cheating. They don't understand how animation works. That's cause they're fucking idiots. Literally. Okay. Like, they-, they So, just... okay, We Lord. The Academy Best Picture for Animation category began in 2001. So the first winner was Shrek. Then we had Spirited Away in two thousand two, Finding Moon in two thousand three, Incredibles 2004. thousand. Don't they have a breakdown of what studio won how many awards at the like the bottom of the Wikipedia section? I'm gonna go through all of them just to make the point. Wallace and Gromit two thousand five, Happy Feet two thousand six, Happy Feet, <laughs> Ratatouille two thousand seven, two thousand eight was Wall-E, Up two thousand nine, two thousand ten Toy Story three, two thousand eleven Rango, two thousand twelve Brave, twenty thirteen Frozen, twenty fourteen Big Hero six. 2015 Inside Out, 2016 Zootopia. Okay. Why did Zootopia win the Academy Award? Zootopia. Why didn't you like Zootopia? I do like Zootopia, but it didn't do really anything special. Do I believe Kubo and the Two Strings or The Red Turtle would have better been suited to win? Yes. Yeah, and they would have won if, was a if, the, good movie. if they, they would have wanted the Academy actually watched the movies. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I read out to you the Best Picture winners. Since it began. And all Most the, of them yeah. were Disney, right? Yeah. Right. So they might as well just call it the best Disney film of the year. Right. So let's think about what about the competition, right? Well, who was competing against these films? So, <laughs> Inside Out. What was the competition? Animaliza, Boy in the World, Shawn the Sheep when Marnie was there. All of which are better than it? Boy in the World and Shawn the Sheep, the movie, was better than Inside Out? Yeah, Boy in the World is pretty good. Oh, I thought that was going to be... Sorry, no. sorry, sorry. I misread that. Okay. Big Hero 6. Its competition is Box Trolls, How to Train Your Dragon 2, Son of the Sea, and Tail of Mrs. Kaguya. I have seen all those except Box Trolls. And you think that all of them deserve to be, be- Big Hero 6? Yeah, pretty much. Fair. Uh, Frozen's competition. Crudes, Despicable Me 2, Ernest and Celestine, When Rises. Crudes? What was Crudes? I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, we both agree Wind Rises should have won. I've heard good things about Ernest and Lean, though. So, obviously, we know the deal, right? We know from the past pattern that the Disney movie will win. There are more deserving nominees, but we can just accept that, because it doesn't matter. Because in the history of the (laughs) Academy Awards, in its 17-year history, the winners have by majority been Disney features. Okay, fine. We'll, We'll just go with this. Considering that the Oscars are a rigged system where the Disney film will always win, Coco is the most deserving in years of getting the Oscar. Yeah, literally, there have only <laughs> been four movies in the Academy's history that were not Disney. Uh, Fuck the Academy. Yeah. Why can't the Annecy Film Festival be more promoted in the U.S.? I don't know. No. Yeah. They also choose way more competent nominations. Mm-hmm. Some problems I had with the movie, narratively. In fact, the only problem I had was the fact that they made Ernesto de la Cruz a legit villain. In the sense that, oh, he murdered Hector! He's a bad guy, strew and strew. Yeah, I like, didn't think that was necessary, that there needed to be like a flat-out villain in this movie. Like, literally, he murdered the guy because he wanted to leave. But, because Ernesto didn't have the talent to write his own songs, so he needed Hector songs. Guess it get- actually was very ill taught out, because he killed off Hector, and... So he's literally just reusing the same songs over and over again. Yeah, like, how long did his career go? Was he just relying on the same songs for years? Maybe they and just got surely, so popular that, like... He didn't need any other songs. I that think. seems weird. I mean, yes, we see that he ha he branched out into different careers, like uh he was a movie star and stuff. But it the also think that they have music. him make new albums, though, or whatever yeah. records. Yeah, that 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 makes no sense. He basically killed the guy for like inconsequential reasons. Though. Yeah, I mean, he, did he not rem- memorize any of the songs? Like he stole the songs, but. He didn't make any, with Hector dead, he couldn't like make new ones, so, I don't know. Yeah, that's... Guess he got I big know. off of Hector's songs and then like, in the future, other guys made more songs. Guess? Yeah, I don't know. It still feels to me like it was very impulsive and ill-taught out because, for one thing, yeah, Hector was going home, but Ernesto couldn't think of another way to just convince him to like, sell him the song rights? Like, or still work for him as a songwriter? Like, couldn't uh, er, Hector have worked as a songwriter from home? If and maybe? then just split it 50-50 or like, sister or whatever. Yeah, like, know. clearly Ernesto was the face and Hector was the songwriter. Like, as a songwriter, did he need to always be on tour? I, think he was I mean, to did something. Hector really want to just stay at home? Like, he was gonna go back and like, visit his family? Uh, maybe he would stay for a while, but maybe... He'd I thought the again. implication was that he was just gonna go home and stay with them, like... Maybe. Even then, though, he could just, like, send him the songs by mail or something, or Telegram. Yeah. Yeah. The Dela Cruz is an idiot. Yeah, that didn't make sense. Also, since Hector sang Remember Me to Coco when Coco was a little girl, and she remembers it as an old woman... Why didn't she call foul when she heard Ernesto singing it when she grew up? I guess since her family banned music, she never heard the song. Oh, that I mean... Which brings up up the question, like, they clearly leave their, like, house. How do they not hear music? Exactly, like, it's pretty impossible to avoid hearing any music. Yeah, maybe if she didn't know that her dad made the song? Maybe if she thought it was, like, made by someone else? Because I highly doubt that she did any, like, research on, like, music and stuff. Because her mother had banned music, so she probably didn't know what songs were original what songs were not original. That's a good explanation. But Even then, though, it brings up the question, if she loved her father so much, why didn't she stop the banning of, like, music and, like, the acknowledgement of her father when she became the leader of the household? I don't know because she clearly loved the music, and she has the diary with all her songs, with all of her father's songs. Yeah, she. So was she just like? Yeah, if she had also the song for "Remember Me," then like, shouldn't she have known? Yeah, so that's like a big like plot inconsistency. Also, it just I don't understand why Ernesto needed to be a flat-out villain because the movie isn't like about because Sid, kids films can't have morally gray characters. We need yeah, and this is like the same problem I had with Frozen. Is that we didn't need Hans to be a villain. There didn't need to be like a villain. But kids can't underst- kids can't understand morally gray characters. we need to show an absolute good absolute evil because we can't trust that kids are intelligent enough to be able to think in between. It is like he was there just to cause problems for the characters so that the third act could be a little longer. Mm. And so that there could be, like, action scenes or whatever. Yeah, I don't think, like, Ernesto's heel turn worked well at all. It's very same with the criticism I had with Franz's in Frozen. Or Hans, or whatever his name is. Yeah, I I, I barely remember any of the characters' names for Frozen. Sure. For Frozen's At the end of the movie, one thing that I was like, really? That seems kind of unbelievable, was that there's, like, graffiti and vandalism all over Ernesto's tomb, and... Why would they suddenly believe, like, records of a family that's hated music for generations? Like, that's one thing. No, it's, like, super confusing. Like, there's, like, graffiti saying that he sucks or something to that effect on Ernesto's grave at the end of the movie after it's come out that... Hector was the one who wrote all the songs. But, like, it seems unbelievable to me, like, oh, now De La Cruz is hated by everyone in the The, world? It's it's an idealism. Like, again, say we're looking at a kid's film that has absolute good, absolute evil. They aren't going to go anything nuanced, like, oh, now a portion of these people like De La Cruz, now this portion don't respect him. No, they have to go all the way one direction. Yeah, it's this extremism in point of view that does not feel authentic to me. It's like, because, yes, he might have stolen Hector's songs, but But he's still 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 had a career outside of those songs. Yeah. Not to mention that it's not like they can prove that De La Cruz... Did actually steal the songs Plus, or murder Hector. They for don't all have the, any reason. They know of that. that Diary is fake. They they don't have any reason to trust Miguel's family on their word that Dela Cruz is a murderer. Yeah. So yeah. So it doesn't make sense why the entire world, or at least everyone in the city, now hates De la Cruz. Yeah. It's just uh, extreme. Yeah, so that I think See, what's satisfying is the fact that Hector is now being remembered for the songs he wrote, right? That's all we needed. We didn't really need this De La Cruz is, you know, now being punished for being a scumbag. Like, that's... My problem problem is that it just... I don't feel we needed a villain. I think it feels very cheap to have... Oh, there's this very obvious bad guy who's responsible for all the bad things. Hector wanted to go home, but he couldn't because he was murdered. Like, maybe he just never went home. He tried to... Or maybe he actually choked on the chorizo. Or maybe he actually choked on the chorizo. Maybe it was was a silly accident. Maybe he wasn't just murdered. You know, I just feel that's too convenient. I feel that's a little... Too blunt. Yeah, it's dumb. But it doesn't make the movie bad. I still think narratively it's very strong. I think that those are some weaker points, but I feel that's something I would like to see change in future Disney films is this, it's to avoid this tendency to, hey, let's have this really bad guy be the cause of all the problems and misunderstandings <laughs> instead of just, oh, people make mistakes. And no one else is at fault. It's not, like, a malicious conspiracy against them. They just made their own mistakes, dug their own graves. Mm -hmm. And they have to work those out. They have to get themselves out of that by themselves. That people are not, like, black and white. Yeah, that's something I definitely want to see from Disney Films, too. Just, like, stop trying to make all these motivations, like, very simplistic. Going with absolute goods and absolute evils. Like, this is, like, the frickin' 80s or 90s or something. But, like... Yeah, I mean, yeah, if that if that happened, I'd enjoy Disney Disney animated films a lot more than I do, and also getting rid of musical numbers just for the sake of having musical numbers. But they made sense in this film. Yeah, and this film makes sense, but most Disney films, it like just make sense. Sure. Did, did we really need musical numbers in Frozen, Sid? Yeah, that was the most of the appeal, was oh. the music. Yes, but did the film need it, like, narratively? But I guess like Anna, they had a Anna uh, uh, uh what's her face sing like "Kid, hey, can we build a snowman?" or whatever. Yeah, actually, the film revolves around musical numbers. That's the emotional centerpieces. That's do, true. Do you want to build a snowman? Let it go. Those were like the important moments. Okay, fine. I'm trying to think of an example because there's a lot of Disney films that have that problem. Frozen, I can someone understand though, even though the rest of Frozen is not good. Okay. So, anything else? Coco was a great film. I enjoyed it a lot. This was very inspiring artistically. And the messages about family and remembering your past and your ancestry and your history really connects with me. Like, I love the sentiment that you're never truly dead if you're still remembered by those in the living and you're still respected and your story, your story lives on. Through your descendants, and then passing down their histories and legacy. Mm, yeah, agreed. It was a good film. Mm-hmm. It was perfect open on the Thanksgiving weekend, and it seems that it's going to be a big hit commercially, and that's great, because we need more great films, great mainstream films about diverse leads, and... About diverse cultures. We, we could just heavily promote foreign animated films, but now let's not do that. I mean, that does not necessarily... That promotes diversity, though. Like, ethnic diversity? Diversity like it, in terms of, like, the people cultural, being represented? Cultural and thematic diversity. I guess, like, actual visual, like, ethnic diversity. Not necessarily. Okay. But, yeah, but it's diversity in a sense. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck you, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it for a review of Coco. It was uh, quite a ride, because we went to places where we didn't expect... Um, I'm tired. Well, we have more things to record, so where can the good people find you, Vlord GTZ? Um, They can find me on Twitter, at VlordGTZ, that is at VlordGTZ, or... I was supposed to spell that out. Fuck. (laughs) At V-L-O-R-I-D-G-T-Z. Yeah, if you want to talk to me about JoJo or Conan or anything else that I like, yeah, just hit me up on there. And you can find me at LumRomayasha on Twitter, and LumRomayasha anywhere, including Animation Revolution and my anime list. If you see LumRomayasha, that is me. As for the show, you can follow us at Mung underscore Mavericks on Twitter, MungMavericks.tumblr.com, and on our YouTube channel, Mung manga mavericks we have a custom url now guys we hit that 100 subscribers it is h t t p s semicolon www.youtube.com slash C slash Manga that's a capital M Manga capital M Mavericks that's a custom URL guys we did it fam it's all thanks to you but you can still help the show grow by watching, liking, and subscribing to our channel and of course subscribe and listen to us rate and review us on iTunes as well Both of those things help the show grow a lot. And you can find all of our podcasts first on all-comic.com. That's where we post up the podcasts before anywhere else. And you can follow All Comic on Twitter at all underscore comic. And that's about it for this episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies. Talking about Coco. And I don't know what we'll talk about next time, but we'll see you then. Sayonara! Later.